and welcome to episode 130 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles. I'm Nathan Fox. With me in Washington, D.C. is Ben Olson. Ben, what's new? What is new? Um, let's see here. Classes just started last night, so that was fun. Uh-huh. Um, my first piece of advice was to have fun, uh, as much fun as you can when it comes to the LSAT. Uh, sometimes people have to fake it until they really do feel like it's a fun process. But I think it's helpful. And I also told them, look, that means that if you're studying and you're feeling sick of it, just stop. I'd rather you study for a short amount of time and then be interested in enough <laughs> to come back to it again the next day than to kill yourself and then make the whole process just miserable, you know? Yeah, yeah. And the second thing I said was to focus just on quality, not on quantity. You know, so many people just try to do so much work and it's better just to sit down and do a section or do a few games and then learn from them rather than trying to do anything and everything. I love it. Yeah. A little bit every day, a little bit goes a long way. Train yourself for success, you know, like practice being successful on the test. Yeah. Which one way to do that is only do it when you're feeling happy and rested and confident and feel like you're ready to tackle it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When people do it, like they're tired and they're on their seventh hour of studying and they're just keep grinding it out. I mean, I guess I envy the work ethic, but I wonder how much is actually getting done at that point. Yeah. So that's great. Um, And that's for students who are, of course, studying for the June LSAT. They're just they're just starting right now. And their intention is to take the June test, right? That's right. Yep. Yeah. And a little bit every day between now and the June test will go a long way. So that's uh, yeah. Sounds like they're in good hands. How many of them do you think have done any prep before and how many of them are brand new LSAT versions? That's a good question. I didn't ask it directly, but based on some of the comments, it felt like a third or so had done something before, um, either read a book or whatnot. We started with games and we were just doing games and some people definitely had a method or a way to approach it. Um, I gave them some suggestions on how they might improve that method. Some things work great. Other methods, eh, not so much, you know? Um, but yeah, I'd say about a third. Had done some previous prep. Had done some previous prep and probably the remaining. two thirds, nothing. Nothing, yeah. yeah. It's funny how often I get the question, like, should I, should, what should I do to prepare for the class? And I ship out books right away as soon as people sign up. And I say, I give them some instructions and I say, here's how you can get a head start if you want to get a head start. But people think that there's like some prior prep that's necessary or something. And, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. No, not at all. <laughs> no, you don't have to. I do the same thing. I send out books and I send out homework assignments that they could work on. Um, what interests me is they also seem to think that like there's something more, you know, like here's some things you can work on. And then I'll still get emails every now and then saying, I have a lot of time. I really want to invest this time. Well, what, what else should I be doing? And it's sort of like, well, no, that's the, those books are what you should be doing. <laughs> I know. And just go know. ahead and get started. You don't have to overthink this. You don't have to do something special or some secret sauce. It's just starting to learn and make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. 
Yeah. Sometimes people just want the magic magic trick, right? They want the magic magic beans. And unfortunately, we really don't sell those, right? <laughs> yeah. Are, I, I like give them the my my logic games playbook and and I tell them how to use it and then they're like, "Yeah, but but you know, I really want to I really want to get I really want to conquer these games. What what should I do?" Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> "Well, <laughs> that book <laughs> that I just handed you, um, have you done it?" <laughs> no. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I I I was sure I I've started it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do all that and then come back to me. We'll talk. <laughs> if you have any questions, we'll talk. But um you could start with that. <laughs> That'd be good. No, I hear you. Have I have I complained to you about the people there's this is a very small minority of students, but the students who will work on the games in my games book and not watch the videos and then uh, ask questions like I'm not making progress. What should I be doing? And I'll say, Hey, where are you at in the games book? And they're like, Oh, I'm like halfway through and it has 70 games. So that's a decent amount of games and there are harder games generally. And I'll say, okay, um, well, it sounds like you've done a lot of work. Uh, what are you learning as you watch the videos? Like, what are you figuring out that you should have done that you didn't do or that you didn't do enough? And, well, I don't have time to watch the videos. And it's sort of like, what? This is that's where the learning takes place, and um, not that you have to every time, but um, yeah, it's sort of like they're thinking that there's some other secret to becoming good. And the secret is to do a game and then learn how to do it better, and then yeah. do another one. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah. I got a call from a girl last night who really sweet and well-meaning, and she was asking if I ever give scholarships for my online class. And I said, no, not normally no, but, you know, I, she was nice. And I'm like, well, okay, if you want to apply, you know, I'll, I'll certainly consider your application for a scholarship. And then I asked her, you know, about the free online class that I have. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, she did the test and then, but then she, she started watching the videos mm-hmm. started. People always yeah. like to talk about how they started. Yeah. And then, but she wants a scholarship in the full online class, but she hasn't yet done the free part of that exact same class. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> why what do you think is gonna happen why why do you want the full thing if you're not even willing to do the free thing yeah i think it's like this psychology of uh once you if you have to pay for something it must be inherently yeah, yeah. more valuable right and then all of a sudden it will be easier or the advice you get will be better and you won't have to just sit there and watch yeah you'd much rather have someone who consumed everything that you have for free and is saying, look, I want more, but I can't afford it. Can you please unlock this door for me, so to speak? And you're like, yeah, sure. But that's not what's happening. (laughs) Um, All right. Let's see. What are we talking about today? Um, Well, we have a whole bunch of listener emails, like we always do. Um, We... 
need to thank everybody who has been participating in the Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook. We are now well over a uh, hundred members there and growing every day. Um, please uh, find that on, uh, we have it linked from um, thinkinglsat.com, but you can also just go to Facebook, I'm sure, and find the Thinking LSAT podcast group and request to join that group and um, participate. Ben, I noticed you chimed in on something or other the other day. So, um, and I, I keep an eye on it as well. Uh, I show up from time to time and, uh, and if anybody ever needs us, by the way, on that Facebook uh, group, it's a good place to uh, ask questions and we'll, uh, we'll drop in when we can and try not to be too annoying. But uh, there's a good group of users, a good good group of uh, the 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 uh, thinking LSAT community that's uh, gathered there, and it's it's awesome. People have been hooking up with study groups and stuff already, so that's that's fantastic. So please go to Facebook and uh, join that group. Um, I guess maybe this can we stop giving this shout out for YouTube? <laughs> We're on YouTube. You can find us on YouTube if you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube. Go to youtube.com slash thinking LSAT. And uh, I don't know. I don't really feel like talking about that anymore. Yeah. Um, thanks uh, for uh, to our patrons. We have patrons, Ben, five of them now. Uh, we have five patrons on Patreon who are donating a total of, we get $64 every month from our Patreon patrons. And that uh, does help to defray our show expenses. We uh, we ballparked that the other day, didn't we, Ben? Yeah. Um, what are it was higher than I thought. It was <laughs> a lot higher than I thought. <laughs> I can't believe it was like around a thousand. Wasn't that the number we came up with? Yeah, I think we pay about a thousand bucks a month to produce the show. Um, obviously, it helps uh, get the word out about our services and products and stuff. And nobody should really feel sorry for us. But if you want to uh, give back to the show and help to defray our thousand dollars a month of expenses um patreon is a great place to do that just uh look for thinking lsat on patreon or go to thinkinglsat.com and we have it linked from our website there as well you can donate uh, as little as one dollar a month and as much as uh as much money as you have we, we would welcome money as you have <laughs> <laughs> we welcome we welcome all dollars that flow in our direction and uh, we will continue providing this podcast content, whether you support us or not. So, um, yeah, thanks for chipping in. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for rating and reviewing us. We really appreciate uh, all your support. And uh, the t-shirts are coming. We we have designs, but we're we're working on the t-shirts. I haven't heard. I got to get with Matt and and see if he's done anything on that. But we're working on it. Go yeah. ahead, Ben. Yeah, I can't. Well, I can't remember what I was going to say now. I think, I guess at $64, we have 6% of our costs defrayed. And I was thinking that people might find that number to be unbelievable. I mean, it was surprising to us as well, but it's just uh, the hosting, the editing work. What else was involved? I mean, Matt is helping out here and there. I don't know. Just add it all up. Yeah, that's the big, that's the big part of it. I mean, yeah, the hosting we pay for we po- we pay for data. We still pay way too much for data. We need to solve that problem um, one of these days. And it's weird though because yeah, it's on um, AWS, Amazon, right? So mm-hmm. I thought mm-hmm. they were pretty competitive. I guess not. Mm-mm. 
I don't think so. I think there's cheaper things we could be doing, hmm. but I don't know. We just we're lazy. We haven't gotten around to fixing that. <laughs> we <laughs> we got you have a business to run. I have a business to run. We got the podcast. We got we got things on our plates. So we just haven't solved that one. But yeah. Anyway, uh, the show must go on. So. Uh, yeah, I think we're about ready to dive into these emails. Is there anything else you want to mention no. at the top of the show? Let's do it. No? Okie doke. Uh, go ahead and read this first one, Ben. Sure. So this is a comment from our blog, thinkingelside.com. It says, Hi, Ben and Nathan. I just wanted to write a quick note to thank you for all you do. Exclamation point. You're welcome. I began listening to your podcast while I was working abroad from 2016 to 2017 and contemplating applying to law school. I was able to study the most effective way, timed sections, everyone. That's, this was in the email. Right off the bat, and I saw my score go from a 157 diagnostic to a 174 on test day. Yeah, nice work. Where, where you guys really did me a solid, though, is in drilling in the idea that you shouldn't only plan to take the test once. I'm definitely a type A, get everything perfect from the first time kind of person. So when I had an emergency appendectomy 36 hours before the June 2017 LSAT, your advice really came in handy. However, I did still take the LSAT a day and a half later, completely hopped up on pain meds and got a 164. Bad idea. Since I was already planning to retake this little bobble turned out to be no big deal and i hit my goal 174 on the next test date <laughs> wait so hc that's the correspondent's name hc's goal was a 174 and he got a 174 or she hmm that's fortuitous <laughs> yeah yeah i'm i'm not sure well, yeah whether that's that was awesome. his goal <laughs> Anyways, considering all of the great advice I got from the podcast, I applied broadly and made use of fee waivers, which yield me a total of $1,070,628 in scholarship offers from 10 schools. I like how people add this all up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I haven't started negotiating yet, but I will update if the numbers change. You guys seriously rock stars in the law school admissions game. Every minute I spent listening was 100% worth it, and I refer all prospective applicants to the podcast. Thank you again, HC. Was this like a puff piece? Why are we reading this? <laughs> um, that's thank actually, you, HC. Yeah, that, yeah, thank you very much, HC. Well, that, I got, that email made my day the other day when I, I got it. Um, so it's actually a it's a listener and a student of mine. Oh, okay. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. She did my online class and she did two, uh, private tutoring sessions. I, cause when, when she added up that number of $1,070,628 in scholarship offers, I, I went through my records and I looked and I was like, huh, I wonder how much she paid for LSAT prep. And I added up the numbers and she, she paid a total of $1,895 for Mm -hmm. LSAT prep. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then of course, listen to the show for free. And I think she might've used your score tracker and, you know, so she, she took advantage of all the free resources, which is great. And she paid a little bit to, to take advantage of some of those resources. And, um, yeah, took the LSAT multiple times, had a good plan going in. 
she was fully prepared for the June 2017 test, but uh, <laughs> life happened. <laughs> she ended up in the hospital, um, and they saved her life, it sounds like, and she took it again, and she got a 174, and yeah, she got over, that's a single applicant who got over a million dollars in scholarship offers from 10 different schools. Now, of course, she can't accept all of those offers. She can only accept one of those offers. Um, but I talked to her a little bit about some of the offers, and she has already a full ride in hand. Uh, she thinks she can get a stipend from that school. Mm-hmm. That school hires, uh, sorry, uh, the type of firm she wants to work in does hire lawyers from exactly that school that already has offered her a full ride. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, she's going to get at least $150,000. Uh, of free law school and you know untold millions of dollars in her career earnings because she is going into uh, medium slash big law and probably will end up making a shit ton of money so <laughs> anyway uh, that is the value of LSAT prep if you're wondering um, whether it's a good investment of time and energy and resources to get the very best LSAT score you can. Uh, yeah. HC is a testament <laughs> to that. Yeah. No, that's great. That's exciting to hear. So yeah, I was, I had, I don't think I'd ever seen anybody actually add it up like that into the, uh, you know, I think she actually put thanks a million in the email that she <laughs> initially wrote to me, <laughs> which that's I funny. liked. So I need to take this and turn it into a blog post or something to yeah. try to, pimp a little bit but this uh i've seen people do this uh, several times uh, just adding up all their scholarships which is cool Mm -hmm. it does represent something that shows how much schools collectively are interested in you and the more the higher the number the more schools are interested in giving you money which is great but like you said you can't accept all of it so it's a little it's kind of a it's kind of a i don't know uh, yeah, I mean, you could accumulate $10 million in scholarship offers if you applied to every law school in the country. Yeah. Um, it seems like she, she, but, you know, hey, casting a wide net is not a mistake. You know, she's got lots of different uh, offers to think about. And so now she's, she's like comparing, well, here's a place where I would really like to live, but they only offered me like half tuition. And here's a place where I wouldn't really that much like to live. But it's a full ride, and you know what do I do? Mm-hmm. And um, it's like she put herself in that position that we always talk about, where now she has this problem, mm-hmm. but it's a really good problem to have. Yeah. Um, yeah. And now, and now she gets to decide. Um, I'm basically telling her to take the money. By the way, I mean she she's there's a higher, slightly higher ranked school that she could go to, but uh, and it's in a better city, but. Um, you know, to be honest, she's going to be spending the next three years of her life in a uh, a little town known as Law Library, and uh, not going to really be in the city that she's going to school in. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, I yeah. mean, if she's if she's serious about this, she's going to be um, she's going to have her nose in the book and not really be taking advantage of the cultural opportunities that that the city has to offer. So I hear you. I remember when and I was she in- knows that. The school is, sorry, the school is connected enough that even though it's not where she wants to live long term, that school is connected enough that she can get a job back where she does want to live. So it seems like a pretty, pretty clear decision that she should just take the money. Mm-hmm. 
Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I remember when I was in law school and I was sitting in the library. Um, yeah, you just sit there next to the window for hours and mm. I would have my, I'd have my law books and I don't know why, I guess we just weren't there with tech yet enough because I didn't have my phone. I had a, a mini dictionary and I just remember looking up words all the time because mm. to me, law school was, you know, it's a lot of reading, but it's also just a lot of, okay, I've never ever used that word in my life before. What does that mean? And then looking it up and then moving on, you know? So. <laughs> oh boy. Days of misery. That really, <laughs> boy, did that suck. Boy, did I hate law school. Oh my God. Um, yeah, I, and, and I did not find the reading interesting either. I mean, I, I was just, oh, no. same thing. I was just sitting there like trying not to fall asleep reading these just gigantic law books. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, didn't really learn anything. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, good luck y'all have fun. Yep. Enjoy. Enjoy. <laughs> uh, moving on. Hey, Ben and Nathan, thanks again for an awesome podcast. Special thanks to Ben for a great class. It was not until I took the class that I realized how much I didn't know about logical reasoning. I did about the same on both my games sections. Oh, this is an update from the test. Mm. Uh, The first two games were easy, and the third game on each section was a little more difficult, which forced me to guess on the last two or three questions of the fourth game. I did not get to as many LR questions as I thought I would, but I kept in mind the strategy of doing 20 to get all 20 right. I only made it to about number 18 on each section and had to fill in D for the rest. I did three reading comp passages, but I felt good about all three and guessed on the last one. Um, that sounds like a pretty good performance, right? Yeah, that's that, cool. That could be a 160, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that could totally be a 160. Um, did most of the games, guessed on a few. Did 18 LR questions, but felt like uh, she got most of them right, or all of them right. Mm-hmm. And then felt really good about three reading comp passages and guessed on the last one. You can totally get to 160 with that strategy. Yeah. That's, uh, that's awesome. Uh, the reason I wrote in was that I had a pretty chatty group at my test and the person in front of me in line just started talking to me and she told me that she got a 145 the last time, wanted to break 148 and that she wanted to move to LA for entertainment law. I only write because I have heard you both poke fun at entertainment law and listening to her kind of made me laugh on the inside and take the edge off. This person could have a 4.0 GPA, which is way better than mine and be better in every other way, but it was something small that made some of the nerves of test day go away. Another person didn't come back after the break. Rumor has it. He had a cell phone. Dramatic music. If you use my name, it's Aaron. Thanks for all you do. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> thanks, Aaron. Yeah, thanks. Ben, any comments? That's a student of yours, huh? Yeah. Um, no, it's it's, uh, it's fun to hear how people take the edge off on test day, you know? Because I think that's a big deal. A lot of people don't do as well as they could have because 
they just let them they let their they let their head get in the way yeah they get anxious and it's just like it's not a big deal there's something magic about looking for the person who's more nervous than you are Mm -hmm. that's a great uh that's a great cocktail party tip by the way um Mm -hmm. uh, is is to find the person who looks who who looks lonely and bored slash nervous find find the person who's standing in the corner not talking to anybody and go talk to them if you if you feel if you feel weird and shy and nervous mm-hmm. all you got to do is just look around the room and find a million other people who are also feeling the same way <laughs> yeah and just go just go say hi I mean, maybe they'll be a dick and not talk to you. That's fine. But <laughs> at least then you'll know why they're over there by themselves and you can go move on and find somebody else. So, um, yeah. And, uh, what, so what, what do we tell people to do at the test? Look for somebody who has the most pencils. That's always a good giveaway. Mm-hmm. What else? Uh, yeah. I mean, we have, this is, we've heard multiple updates of people where, where they hear people saying stupid things in line. Yeah. So that's a good one. I'm trying to break 148 so you can move to LA and do entertainment law. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, I, what do they think they're going to do? Like work for some band or something? I don't I don't get it. I don't know. I don't know what people think they're going to do. Um <laughs> okay. Anyway, oh but, but and save your hate mail. We re, we do realize that there are there is such a thing as an entertainment lawyer. We realize that. <laughs> It's just that it's not likely that you're going to just get a 148 on the LSAT and move to LA and become an entertainment lawyer. That's just, that's not how that goes down. Okay. Uh, um, all right. Next one. Yeah. Good morning, Ben and Nathan. I have been listening to the podcast from episode one, starting a week or two ago. I originally messaged Nathan because I did not know about this email until around episode 30 where I, where I just, I'm just passed. Okay. That's uh that's help at thinkinglsat.com by the way. We'll uh that'll get an email to both Ben and me. Mhm. I hope I'm remembering this the email correctly. You are. Thanks so Nathan, thank you Nathan for the questions you've answered so far. Exclamation point. All right, so far we've had three explanation exclamation points. Anyway, my question is in regards to letters of rec. I am in the military and can definitely get many great letters of rec from my super supervisors to include chiefs and commanders along with my direct supervisors. I've heard letters of rec from military is fantastic from one of the podcasts. I don't remember that. I guess we've talked about it before, or maybe Anne has. My question is, should I have them jointly write one letter of rec and all sign it to show that they all feel this way about me or just choose two or three to write them and send all of them to schools I'm applying to? I've never heard mm-hmm. of multiple people writing one letter. Have you? No, no it's not a thing. That's <laughs> that's why we're talking about this because this is the kind of like this is this is very very naive. It's like an it's like here. an open letter to the schools. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I plan we'll to explain it all. Uh, I plan to also to shadow a family lawyer starting in June and hope to get a letter of rec from him too, but I do not know if it'll be in time to submit with apps. Lastly, that's pretty late if you're wait applying for that year. I, otherwise, it's really early. Lastly, I also have a military instructor from a leadership school I attended two years ago in which I got top grad leadership 
an academic that I plan to use in, as an academic letter. Sorry for such a long message, but I wanted to ensure y'all had a good idea of where I'm coming from. Um, okay, so there's several questions in there. Group letter, not going to happen. Um, I, can, do you follow this shadowing a family lawyer thing starting in June? Yeah, I mean, she must be talking about applying next cycle. She hasn't even taken the test yet. So she's she's talking about applying next cycle, um, shadowing a family lawyer in June. Okay, well, hold on. First of all, letters of recommendation. They all go through the Credential Assembly Service. If you haven't heard us talk about the Credential Assembly Service before, um, it is a service of the Law School Admission Council. You register for it on the LSAC um, system of shitty websites, <laughs> LSAC.org. And yeah. you, you look at all of their, their, their websites are pretty terrible and you don't have a choice. You have to um, sign up for those websites. Uh, shout out to their telephone customer service, though. They're uh, they're good on the phone during business hours, East Coast business hours. So if you ever uh, need help with any of their stuff, definitely just call them and let them walk you through it on the telephone because uh, you pay them plenty and you might as well take advantage of uh, the fine telephone customer service that uh, all your money pays for. Um, you have to s- register for the Credential Assembly Service and you'll have to request those letters of recommendation via the Credential Assembly Service. That's going to be one person uh, that you're going to be naming as your recommender, uh, one person per letter. You can get multiple letters. Most schools require two letters. Some schools will uh, let you submit more than that or even require more than that. So you might want to get three or four letters in the can. Um and you have to do that via the Credential Assembly Service. There's no such thing as a joint letter of recommendation. So that's just not even an option. Um, and then the Credential Assembly Service is going to be distributing all of these letters to all of the schools. So uh, that's not going to be, <laughs> you're not going to be photocopying these letters and <laughs> mailing them out to the schools. That's not how it works. Yeah. Um, as far as this shadowing a family lawyer to get a letter of recommendation. I don't, that doesn't sound awesome to me. What do you think? Well, I guess it depends on what she's doing as she shadows the lawyer. But to me, it sounds like she's just coming along to learn what's going on. And I don't see that as a great opportunity to show how great you are at, doing whatever i mean if she does if she what's the lawyer gonna say yeah the lawyer's gonna say like oh well Alyssa was really good at following me around yeah she was there it all comes down to (laughs) (laughs) she showed up on really quiet (laughs) she didn't make noise in court i didn't get kicked out of court because she was making too much noise when she was shadowing me i don't know yeah what it, it depends on You're, what she ends up doing, right? If she shadows yeah. a family lawyer and that means she goes in there and sits in the office and he says, hey, work on this stuff and show me your work when you're finished and he's impressed by her work and her work is more than just stapling, then yeah, it's a job basically and assuming you do it for a long time. But I, I just don't see someone allowing you to shadow them for a prolonged periods of time to the point where you're doing enough work for them to be able to write you a letter of rec. So my yeah. guess is there's nothing going to come from this. 
Right. It needs to be now. I mean, well, lots can come from it as far as figuring out whether you're interested in family law slash lawyering generally. Sure. Sure. Um, and this can be a connection that you can work, uh, for, you know, forever, right? This could be the person who mentors you for your entire career and really gets you started in the legal world. And so that's great. I mean, but if you're doing it in order to get a letter of rec, um, no, that's not appropriate. It, it needs to be somebody who, yeah, who supervised your work basically either because they were paying you or because it was a school thing. Um, they were, they were grading you or they could fire you. Yeah. And if you're just volunteer shadowing somebody, I don't, yeah, I, don't, I just, I don't, I don't see how that makes a sensible letter of recommendation. Yeah. So find a boss, find a professor. Um, yeah. This, this military instructor from the leadership school, you got the top grade or whatever that is. That sounds awesome. That's perfect. Uh, get another one of those or, or a, a boss um, supervisors from the military. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. And you'll, you'll be set. She uh, concludes PS. I have officially improved to 166 on my last practice test. I will keep pushing towards nice. nice yeah. Toward my first goal of 170 to get my ultimate goal of 175 plus. Uh, all y'all is definitely a thing. I grew up in Louisiana and have had to explain this before. Y'all, a group of people. All y'all, multiple groups of people or a larger group of people. Good, <laughs> good to know. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So you're, you're like walking out the door, you're going to go to a party or whatever, and you're like, y'all can come. Yeah, all y'all can come. Yeah. <laughs> Did she say y'all or all y'all? Because if she said all y'all, I'm going too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, um, one last thing here. Uh, she says, I will keep pushing towards. Uh, What's the problem? Mm-hmm. It's not right. It should be toward. Yeah. We're in America. So in America, we say toward. If you're in the UK... Or, or you know, across the pond, then you say towards. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. So, hmm. I, I have like, I have no training. I have no, I have no uh, grammar training. But um, and I obviously I know that I I speak incorrectly, um, very frequently. But uh, yeah, something like that towards, I would definitely notice that and just clip that s off of there. Yep. Toward. I didn't realize that was a U.S. thing. Okay, cool. Um, next one. Hey, guys. When I tuned in on my commute today, I didn't expect to be brought up in conversation again, especially by another correspondent. How funny. Please assure Ravender that all my publications were peer-reviewed and funded by the National Science Foundation. I'm painfully aware of all those sleazy journals in the NPR article he mentioned. My inbox is crammed with emails from them trying to trick me into wasting time and money applying to them. As for Ben's question, most of my papers, and most papers in my field, are collaborations between teams of researchers. In some papers, the vast majority of the text is mine. In others, especially the extremely long ones, I contribute the sections that are most relevant to my work. However, in almost every case, I volunteer to collect all the other researchers' text and craft it into one big seamless whole. 
I've worked as a professional book editor, so all the PhDs are thrilled that I can take care of it, and they don't have to. <laughs> Wait, well, <laughs> I'm sorry. This is Splitty, remember? <laughs> <laughs> the crazy we gotta stop the- right here, dude. So, not only is he publishing all these articles and, and peer-reviewed... <laughs> <laughs> Peer-reviewed, you know, <laughs> publications, whatever. He is also, I just, <laughs> he was a professional book editor. What the fuck, dude? Were you born, like, know. working? Like, hey, give me yeah. the milk. I got to get out of here. I don't get it. Yep. Hey, you know, impressive people are <laughs> impressive. I don't know what to tell you. People that do a lot of shit do a lot of shit. Yeah. That's just how it is. Uh so, you know, um, <laughs> we st- Splitty at this point is now our most commented on of all of our correspondence over yeah. the years. Yeah. We get more emails. We still get posts about, and, and the posts are funny too, because it'll just be like, hey, that guy Splitty's full of shit. <laughs> that'll be like the total, <laughs> that'll be like the only, <laughs> this entire subject, the entire message will be like, Splitty's full of shit. Um, but I, I'm going to go on record and say, I, I believe Splitty. I believe, uh, him. Oh, I don't necessarily Um, disbelieve him. I'm just like continually surprised by what he has to add. He must be woefully disappointed in us. We can't even update our, you know, hosting situation. (laughs) We got two. Yeah, I know. Totally. (laughs) You should take some of our our vibes, Splitty, and take a break sometime. Splitty will probably just volunteer and just take take it all on and just do all of it for us. Yeah, well, you know, based on his experiences in IT, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, he'll figure it out. He's smart. Um, also, just wanted to let you guys know that I've received my first two application decisions, and they're both awesome. Accepted to UVA, scholarship details to be determined, and accepted to Penn State Dickinson with a full ride. No news from any of the other schools I applied to. Thanks again for all your hard work, and best of luck to all my fellow listeners with their applications. Splitty. And then um, Splitty gives a link to his LinkedIn profile. <laughs> Sorry. Whoa. Proof of my existence. We yeah. If you're still hungry for proof of my existence, here's my LinkedIn profile and there's a link there. And that you know, we we can't put that. I don't I'm not going to share that unless Splitty Splitty can write us in and say, "Yeah, go ahead and post our my LinkedIn." And then and then we will. But I don't think we should do that without permission. Yeah. <laughs> um and then uh PS, I would be honored to blast off in a rocket with the future god emperor of Mars. Mm-hmm. Elon? What do you think about that? Yeah, he's referring to Elon. And uh, hey, you know, if Elon is looking for uh, for an LSAT tutor, I'm in too. And, and But then I'll have to fight with Ben to see who gets to go. Um, although Ben has kids and I don't, so I think I win because of that. Um yeah. But if for all other purposes, I think Splitty's going to be able to take care of uh, anything that needs to be taken care of on that rocket. So I'll probably, <laughs> unless they need an LSAT teacher, I'm probably going to be out. <laughs> oh, well. <Yeah. laughs> awesome. <laughs> all right. Moving on. Yeah. So this next one, uh, the subject line is question types. Hello, Ben and Nathan. I just finished going through prep test 75 and I mistook a weakened question for a strengthened question. I put mm. it in my test 
through Ben's score tracker, and I realized that I incorrectly determined the type for four questions on the two logical reasoning sections. Okay, so you misidentified four questions, and you thought they were a different type. For the three, I understand why I got the question type wrong. For three of them, I understand why I got it wrong. However, for this one, I really don't see how it is a weakened question instead of a strengthened type. It is question 22 on section three. The question asks, each of the following rejoinders, if true, directly counters the opponent's explanation of the decrease in average family income, except. So each of the wrong answers is going to directly counter the opponent's explanation. In other words, each of the wrong answers is going to weaken, right? Mm-hmm. The argument. So this is a weakened mm-hmm. question, and then it says accept. So this correspondent, Dorothy, is thinking that if it's a weakened accept question, you must be looking for something that strengthens it. Oh, no. Mm-mm. And that's where she's yeah. going wrong here. Right. Yeah. So I would put this in the weekend category. Is that yeah, what you did? Is that exactly how your score tracker deals with mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm. It's a weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So a weekend except. Yeah, I would I would keep that in the weekend category. It's just that four of the answers, the wrong answers, are each going to be weakeners, and then the correct answer is going to be the one that doesn't weaken. Um, it doesn't have to strengthen. It could strengthen if you find a strengthener. That's the answer. Yeah. But it could also just be something that's totally irrelevant. You know, if it's a if it's just a ran- some random fact about uh, how it's always beautiful sunshine in Los Angeles. Yeah, um, that has nothing to do with the argument. It does not weaken the argument. Therefore, it's the correct answer for this weaken accept question. But yeah. it's not right to think about it as a strengthen question because that that statement about Los Angeles being sunny does not strengthen the argument. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a yeah. I put all accept questions into the same category. So if it was strengthen accept, I would put that in a strengthen in the strengthen category. Exactly. Right or explanation accept, I would yeah. put that in the explanation category. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. Okay. I mean, this is uh, the reason I included this email is because this is a common mistake that a lot of people make especially at the beginning right they they see a weak and accept and they think oh so i'm looking for what strengthens and it's like no like you said you're looking for something that does nothing it doesn't weaken right or it strengthens because that wouldn't weaken it um same for strength and accept right it's like oh which one of the following if true strengthens the argument or each of the following strengthens the argument except well then you're looking for the one that does nothing or weakens but it's not necessarily true that the correct answer will weaken the argument. And that's the problem that people get into. Right. On an accept question, they're just describing the nature of the wrong answers instead of describing the, the one, instead of describing the one correct answer, they're describing the four wrong answers. Yeah. And so you can just eliminate the four wrong answers that, that in this case, weaken the four that weaken, those aren't the answer. Mm-hmm. And then the one that doesn't weaken is the correct answer. Not only that, I mean, people do make that mistake. Not only that, uh, but also people just suck at identifying question types generally. Mm-hmm. I'm amazed at how terrible people are at, at identifying question types. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's mind boggling. I don't understand. I, I, I have to figure, I mean, 
and I'm not going to start teaching question stem first, but that's, that's maybe the best case for question stem first actually, is that it gets people to think about the fucking question type Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because, because they frequently, or I'm just, I just can't believe I'll, I'll, they'll, this, the class will miss a question or, you know, a whole bunch of them will miss the same question Mm -hmm. and I'll say, okay, what type of question is this? And I get like blank stares. I just get, like crickets mm-hmm. yeah and then one of them will chime in with the wrong answer and then another one will chime in with a different wrong answer <laughs> i'm just like scratching my head going okay guys uh that's a must be true question um <laughs> we got to talk about that yeah you know it's funny when i um take a class or try to learn something new i do experience kind of what they're talking about like you'll have this you'll have this lecture on something and you'll, you'll hear, they'll say, Hey, here are five things to remember. And you'll be like, yeah, that all makes sense. Makes sense. And then the five things will disappear and they'll say, what are the five things? And it's kind of like, Oh shoot. I only remember two of them and I can't remember the other three. Um, and so then I kind of gained some sympathy for our students who are struggling to remember all these different question types, but it's something you just got to keep, Oh yeah. You know? Sorry, I don't mean to sound like an asshole, like I don't have any sympathy. I mean, I, I, I get it. I understand what it's like to not understand stuff. I mean, I took uh, math classes in college that reached my level of, you know, I just couldn't do anymore. Yeah. Um, so I, I understand that there's things that are hard to learn and it takes a minute. Um, but I, I guess really what I'm doing is I'm, I'm yelling at myself for, for not emphasizing enough how important it is that they, that they do learn the question types and that they do identify the question types correctly. Um, One mistake that people make all the time is they just say, Oh, well it says most strongly supported. So it's a strengthened question. Yeah. Yeah. Very common. And it's like, no, you have to read every word of the entire question stem before you know what type of question it is. Every word of the entire stem, not just three words. Because, uh, you know, I'll give you the two question stems. They both say most strongly supported. One of them says, which one of the following is most strongly supported by the information above? The other one says, which one of the following if, or sorry, the conclusion is most strongly supported if which one of the following is true. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So if I said, which one of the following is most strongly supported by the information above? What type of question is that? That's a, it's a must be true question or inference question. Yeah. Yes. Must be true question. I will say. And if it says, uh, the conclusion, the, the argument is most strongly supported. If which one of the following is true, that's a strengthened question. Then that's a strengthened question. And so, Hmm. Other than say that a thousand times, I'm like struggling to figure out how to teach it. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Well, yeah, I, I always ask people to do exactly what you said, and that is to read the entire sentence and then say, hey, wait, is this asking you to help the argument or support the argument above? Is it bottom up or is it top down? Is it asking you to find an answer choice that's supported by the passage? Think about the direction of the support. Yeah, you know what this makes me think of now is um, 
I, I also get, I get phone calls, um, from people where there or, or emails where they're like, you know, people who are naturally good at the test, mm-hmm. people who are like naturally good at logical reasoning. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I don't understand all these technicalities because I just figure, I just read it and figure out what they're asking. Mm-hmm. And that also is really true. I mean, those two question stems that I've been yelling about, one of them says, which one of the following is most strongly supported by the information above? And if you just read that, and if you really read it, and okay, so they're saying that the information above supports one of these five. So that's like a top-down type of a thing, right? They're like, based on the information, which one of these five has to be true? Mm -hmm. Okay, and so then they don't need to know, oh, that's a must-be-true question. But, I mean, it would be helpful to have some techniques for that type of question or some ideas about what the wrong answers tend to look like, etc. But you can just read it and understand what they're asking and get it right. Yeah. The same with the other one. If it says the conclusion is most strongly supported, if which one of the following is true, if you read that, think about what they're asking. Oh, oh, okay. So what they're doing here is one of these five, if it's true, mm-hmm. will help the argument above. So it's like a bottom up type of a question where one of these answer choices, if we added it to the facts, it would make the argument stronger. Yeah. It's a strengthen question. You don't. And so there, you know, a smart person who reads critically, who reads it thoroughly and actually understands what, it, what they're asking mm-hmm. can get that right without knowing all of the question type stuff. Mm-hmm. But I'm just amazed at how many students will just blunder their way through that question and, and, and misidentify it. Mm-hmm. What is that? That's, it's just not reading. It's just not reading the words on the page. Yeah. <clears throat> lawyers, uh, lawyers read all the words, not some of the words. Lawyers read all the words. And they think about them. Yeah. Yeah. Where are we here? Well, uh, she just, she ends by saying, let the record show that when I took, let the record show, uh, you'll be a great lawyer, that when <laughs> I took the practice test, I had no clue what rejoinder meant. Now I know that in this context, it means rebuttal. I think it also means that in other contexts, but Still, the question strikes me as a strengthening question. Love the podcast, and thanks for your time. Best, Dorothy. Thanks for writing, Dorothy. It's a common misconception. I'm glad we could clear it up. Yep, absolutely. Thanks, Dorothy. Hi, Ben and Nathan. Thank you. I emailed asking for retake advice last summer with PTs averaging 175 and a 173 on record. You suggested I retake, and I got my 175 in June. I started at a 165, and my study regimen consisted of listening to you guys and taking practice tests. So, thank you for helping me get this dream score. You know what? This sounds like somebody who should definitely donate to us on uh, Patreon. Yeah. (laughs) $175 a month for the rest of your life, because you are going to be rich. So, yep. Yeah, do Mm -hmm. it. Okay. Um, Overseas LSAT administrations. I took the LSAT in South Korea both times. By looking at forums, I found out that the test I took in December 2016 was the February 2015 LSAT, and the June 2017 test was from February of 2012. Confirms what you guys have said about LSAT using those undisclosed February tests for overseas administrations that occur on different days slash in different time zones. 
by looking at the forums, they figured that out. So yeah, I mean, people are like doing all kinds of shady, <laughs> clearly violating um, the LSAC's, uh, well, they have you sign all this stuff that you're not going to disclose and talk about it really. Right? Yeah. But people online, of course, don't pay any attention to that. Yeah. Um, you could just say okay. people don't pay attention to that, right? It's just the human condition. People just don't pay attention to that. Yeah, or they just don't true. pay attention and, to rules generally. <laughs> yeah. And then on the, and then, well, and then you just can't stop people from sharing information on the internet. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. So, um, let's see. Wow. This email. Okay. Just cause it, I like it. It's uh, it's punchy. It goes from one thing to the next. It just goes straight to you see Hastings esque communications from a Dean <laughs> at the bottom of this email is a forwarded message. I got from Michigan explaining why they hadn't sent out a decision yet. I laughed out loud as I read the wordy nonsense that could have been summarized by saying, Hey, we know you've been waiting for a while, but we'll get to you soon. Thanks. Just thought I'd share another opportunity to laugh at the entire admissions process. Wait, where is that Michigan email? Oh boy, this is long. Yeah, this is um, one, two, three, four, five, six decent size paragraphs. Yeah, holy shit. Let me, I'll start reading it. It says, uh, Dear, can we use name? Yeah, Dear Evan. Thank you for your application to the University of Michigan Law School. Because you went to the effort of applying early in the admission season, we are concerned that you may feel some disappointment at not having received your oh answer yet. Gosh. We understand the anxiety that the law school admissions process can cause and are therefore writing to update you on the status of your file in an effort to alleviate at least some of that stress. Yeah. Wow. As a general proposition... We are able to get most applicants an answer within roughly 10 weeks of the time they submit their applications. Within 10 weeks of the time they submit their applications. That's not a good sentence. No. The whole that thing That timeline weird. gets a little askew, however, oh, for applications like yours submitted toward the very beginning of the admission season. That's because for the first eight weeks or so, we aren't making any decisions at all. We are instead traveling hither and yon for recruiting. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, everything backs up. <laughs> All right. Now I'm into this. I like this now. This is this is this is a good. She time. just like, let's open the going. kimono here. Okay, what's going on? Hither and yawn. Boy, she's just enjoying the sound of her own voice. That said, your application file has been reviewed at least once, and we have found much to admire. A variety of reasons can account for why, notwithstanding at least one round of review, we have not already rendered a speedy final decision. Colon. Sometimes we are waiting for additional information that we know is en route, like recommendation letters, updated transcripts, a new LSAT score, residency information, semicolon. Sometimes file readers have different interpretations of or reactions to an application, and we need to meet and discuss, semicolon. Sometimes there's an open question that we think the passage of time might clear up, semicolon. Sometimes we just think it makes sense to review an application file in the context of the greater pool, parentheses, for an even more detailed explanation of what the heck we're up to, read this. Oh, my goodness. If that wasn't enough detail, you're given more detail, and they use the phrase, what the heck. <laughs> <laughs> See, she's casual. She's a cool dean. She's a cool she dean who clearly went through the legal process and was corrupted by it. I mean, this this she's yeah. got the the colon and the semicolons and the 
it's these are parallel ideas, but the the clear sign here is the extreme wordiness. That sentence itself is unbelievable. How many words? Gonna, is that? The word count a one hundred on the dot. Wow, one hundred words. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, while many, even most, applications are put through this sort of multi-step process, candidates like you who applied early and didn't get read immediately are the ones who notice the resulting delay the most. We are truly sorry about that. We would be happy to add items to your file for our reader's benefit if you have new information you would like us to consider. If the new information you'd like us to see is a transcript, please be sure to route it through LSAC rather than sending it directly to our office. But it certainly is not necessary to add anything, and you should not interpret this email as a solicitation for more material. <laughs> Indeed, because we make decisions on a rolling basis, it is possible that we will send a decision to you before we receive and review any new submissions. I mean, it's, it's possible that we will send you a decision while you're still reading this fucking email that yeah. goes on and on for <laughs> 20 hours. Um <clears throat> We take our responsibility of composing a top-notch class extremely seriously, and we believe that it is to your benefit, semicolon. You can be assured your application materials are receiving a thorough review. That said, we recognize you have been waiting patiently, and we appreciate that. If you have any questions or concerns, please feel free to contact us at email address and phone number. Thanks so much for your interest in the University of Michigan Law School. Very, very truly yours. Um, a senior assistant dean of the University of Michigan Law School. Wow. That, uh, indeed, that did give some chuckles there. Um, from th <laughs> oh, boy. I don't know what to say. It's so incredibly detailed as to every possible thought that they may be having. I don't know. It says the same thing multiple times as well. Yeah. Uh, and it's just wordy. I mean, you could actually include all this information just with fewer words. I, not that I would. What do you think the actual motivation is? I feel like the way it's so apologetic and I feel like they're truly on the fence with applicants like Evan and they don't want to lose Evan, but they're not ready to commit. And so they're, they're hedging their bets and they're nervous of losing him. I think it's, I think it, yeah, but I do think it's also just yield protection, right? Sure. It's like, Hey, it's January. Now this email is dated January 18th. It's January. Now Evan applied at the very beginning of the admission cycle. Mm -hmm. We didn't admit Evan immediately because we were traveling hither and yon. Yeah, okay. Also, we didn't admit him when we were back in the office in October and November and December. Mm -hmm. We didn't admit him because we're protecting our yield. I mean, he's or we're really on the fence about him. Mm -hmm. One of those two things. But if they're going to go to this truck, if they're on the fence, they don't really care if you walk away. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. If they're having a tough decision, they'd be happy for you to walk away. But so now they're email. I think this is what I think that this is a like a feeler to see if Evan will will respond with 
I'm very interested in going to University of Michigan Law School. I could see that given what you're given his scores. I guess it depends yeah, on his GPA, but yeah, he's got a 175. Of course, they want him. Yeah, they want to know but how much he wants to go there. I guess it depends on you know GPA could be lower. He could be a, a splitter or something. Yeah, I don't know. Anyhow. I think they want you and they just want to make sure that you want them. And it's just part of the, 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 the flirtation. It's part of the teasing for the romance, it's part of the dance. <laughs> it's part of the romance. She's wooing you with her beautiful words. <laughs> They're in yawn. This is a very law school Dean thing to write. Boy, that is a long ass email. I got to get the word count on this whole thing. Just look at the signature. Oh, yeah. The signature is six lines here or something, right? No, more. Wait, where, the oh, signature yeah. is eight lines. Oh, my goodness. That signature is outrageous. I love how but, people okay, so say he, this in their... Well, anyways, never mind. I'm, I'm done. But Okay. <laughs> the entire email is 542 words. And it says almost nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean... It goes on and on with unnecessary details, but it's basically like, hey, we're still evaluating your application. If you want to send us new shit, go ahead, but you don't have to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thanks. Sorry we haven't gotten back to you yet. That's all it says. Uh, wow. All right. <clears throat> anyway, back to, back to Evan's email. Um, more importantly, I need help! Exclamation point. I followed your advice and applied broadly and now have a potentially tough decision. I have been accepted to most of the top 14 with a full tuition scholarship at NYU, and I am still waiting on scholarship information for a few more. I haven't heard from Harvard, Yale, or Stanford, but I have interviewed at Harvard. And we know, by the way, that most people who interview for Harvard get in, or like two-thirds or something like that mm -hmm. of the people who interview at Harvard get in. So, yeah, I mean, Evan is an extremely strong candidate. Um, this makes me even more certain that Michigan is just kind of, they don't want to admit him and have him go to Harvard. Yeah. So they're, they're trying to see if he'll, if he'll tip his hand a little bit and, and tell them that they're his number one choice. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so Evan's in at most of the top 14 with interviews interviewed already at Harvard and hasn't heard from Yale or Stanford, but great candidate here. If I were to get in at any of the top three, under what circumstances would you suggest I choose one of them over a full ride at NYU or somewhere similar? Question mark. I am interested in public interest specifically related to education law. I am not interested in academia, and I would like to avoid big law if possible. Ben, want to answer that question? What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Are you asking me? Yeah, yeah, I'm just uh, returning the question. That's all. Oh, um, my gut says says no. You, you listen. We need to educate people what the rebuttable presumption is. Mm -hmm. The rebuttal, the way a rebuttable presumption works is that we are going to make the presumption: do not pay for law school. That is the rule. The rule is: don't pay for law school unless you can rebut the presumption. It's not our job to rebut the presumption. It's your job to rebut the presumption. Yeah. So here Evan is like, wants us to rebut the presumption for him, but we're not going to do that because that's the whole point. You have to figure it out whether it's worth it for you or not. Um, 
I will say the only thing that Evan has said here is that he's interested in public interest, doesn't want to work in big law. Then don't fucking pay for law school. Mm-hmm. That's pretty clear. I, I don't, I, I just, I can't imagine what planet I would be living on where I would say, Oh, you have a full ride to NYU, which is an awesome law school. Yeah. And you want to work in public interest, not big law, but, and you have a full tuition scholarship already lined up. Oh no, but I think you should go $300,000 in debt so that you can go to Stanford. Yeah. So you could work in public interest. Wait, what? Yeah. No, I, I, I can't. I mean, now <clears throat> you feel free, Evan, to do the research, find out what opportunities Stanford will give you that NYU won't. Um, and if those opportunities really are there, and if they can explain to you, you know, at a school like Stanford, they could have, I mean, in fact, they do have special public interest loan repayment things and they, they've got special programs, mm-hmm. not just the shitty public interest programs that most schools like Hastings have, but like actual robust public interest programs that will pay you. And if you can get connected to one of those programs and if you can figure out a clear path and, and if you can figure out that, hey, yes, I am going to be paying a crazy amount of tuition, but here's how I'm going to get out of that, that debt. And it's worth it to take all this risk. Mm -hmm. If you can figure that out, then you can rebut the presumption. But until you do, (laughs) the presumption is going to win. That's the whole point is that you don't have to arbitrate it it, or you don't have to not arbitrate. You don't have to litigate it. It just wins until you make a case to try to rebut it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, Evan keeps going here. My scholarship at NYU would include mentoring and networking opportunities. And I'm thinking that it would give me a better shot at clinics and externship programs than most of my peers. Oh, nice. So this is not only is it a full ride, but it's also like a special full ride where they're going to, they're going to give you the inside track on some stuff that, that sounds great. Mm -hmm. At the top three, I fear that I would miss out on similar opportunities since I would be more in the middle of the pack. Will these kinds of experiences at law school be more important than the brand name on my degree when I am looking for jobs? I mean, I just don't know. I don't know. It depends on exactly what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. By the way, it's not like NYU doesn't have a name. Oh, yeah. I mean, of course it does. NYU has a great name. And it depends where you want to live if you want to live in New York, I can't imagine better than NYU. Mm-hmm. If you want to live in California, then I don't know, then maybe Stanford makes a lot more sense. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, of course the Stanford name travels pretty well in New York also, mm-hmm. but NYU is the shit in New York. So why I don't, yeah, that NYU thing sounds awesome. Um, Nathan, I do remember you saying, though, that if you get into Stanford, you go to Stanford. How about in this situation? It's purely theoretical for now, as I haven't been accepted to HYS, but thank you for indulging my slight statsturbating. Um, I probably have said that in the past. Uh, I'm not sure I really mean it. I think you have to, you just have to think about the money. You have to you have to make a spreadsheet. You have to think about the odds that you will never practice law. That's one thing that people like 
they don't factor into the equation ever. Yeah. But even people who go to Stanford law school don't practice law sometimes. Yeah. And so if you have a choice of not paying anything, I think you have to take that choice of to not pay. I, I really, I think you have to not pay here. Yeah. If you were talking about big law, then, you know, big law lawyers make so much money that the, that the, the student loans don't really matter. But for everyone else, it really matters. Yeah. Um, the podcast is fantastic. And I just want to say thank you again for all your help. It helped me immensely with the LSAT and also with the entire application process. Uh, I'm an elementary school teacher, so I don't have much of a charitable donation budget, but I will be sending a donation your way as soon as I am able. Thank you again, Evan. Um, that's awesome. Thanks, Evan. And, uh, yeah, I think don't, don't pay for law school. You can go ahead and try to rebut that presumption if you want, but especially when you want to work in public interest, you want to save the world. I think step one to saving the world is don't bury yourself in a lifetime of debt. Yeah. Okie doke. Um, moving on. Yeah. Nathan and Ben, if you read this on the podcast, please refer to me as Salary. How would you say? Let's say Salieri. Salieri. How? What? Salieri. 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 I don't know. It looks Italian to me. Salieri. I scored a 161 on the September 2007 exam after allotting myself insufficient time to study. Okay. After a diagnostic score of 159, oof. I studied for only five weeks by taking and reviewing practice tests and occasionally watching YouTube videos. Well, if you took practice tests rather than sections and you occasionally watched YouTube videos, yeah, I'm not too sure how much progress you're going to make. My five practice test scores leading up to the exam ranged 165 to 168. Right, so you did make progress. I chose not to apply this cycle, and because I underwent several life events over the past few months, set aside my LSAT studying until now. My possibly overly ambitious goal is to earn a 170 plus on either the June or July exams. Uh, I tend to, I intend to take both barring an exceptionally high June score. I think that's a great plan and I don't think it's overly ambitious given the fact that you started with a 159. I mean, it's ambitious for anyone, but it's not unreasonable in your case. Yeah. Most students can improve by 10 points or more. And, um, if you started with a 159 and if you've already, you, it sounds like almost immediately went up to 165 to 168 mm -hmm. on practice tests. Mm -hmm. So I would, I don't think 170 is overly ambitious at all. I mean, you do have to stop talking about it and start doing it. Yeah. Which that, that sometimes is a hurdle that people will just never get over. They, they love the stats debating. They love to just fantasize about their 170 plus, but they don't do the actual work that is going to get them to the 170 plus. So that's the question, you know, are you going to start chipping away at it? Are you going to start doing a little bit every day or are you going to email podcasters? Yeah. The other thing is, uh, instead of focusing on the 170 plus, not that you shouldn't have a goal. I'm not necessarily opposed to a loose goal like that, but you need to get to 168 and which 
this listener has done and then 169 and <laughs> you know it's like you need to focus on the next getting the next few problems right rather than on all of a sudden magically getting there like you're saying well yeah that's what i'm saying is like okay you have a goal good i don't care uh what did you do today to get better at the lsat yeah. yep because you know you telling me your goal doesn't doesn't move anybody anywhere mm-hmm. What, what did you, and so that's why I want the act, part of the reason why I want the activity goal rather than the numerical goal is because the activity goal is, it's like fucking do something. Yeah. Start studying, do a section and look at your mistakes and actually figure out why you missed those ones. Don't just do a test and roll the dice and get some number and be happy that you're at your goal or be unhappy that you're not at your goal and just not do anything. That's not doing anything, yeah. you know? And, and you said a second ago, Ben, I just want to point out for the listeners, you said, well, if you're just doing tests and not sections, then you're not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And what you mean is when people do tests, they frequently don't review. Yeah. And so that's why we, it sounds like we both think that doing sections is actually a better way to improve Mm -hmm. because you do the section so that you can review every single question you miss Yeah. so that you can learn something from those mistakes. Ultimately, you have to figure it out. Ultimately, it is a battle of it's, it's you versus the test. And we can guide you. We can help you. We can explain stuff to you in a way that you're going to like, we can help the light bulb come on. We certainly, that's what, that's what I do for a living. That's what Ben does for a living is we help people turn that light bulb on. But ultimately it comes down to you doing that for yourself. You put 35 minutes on the clock, you do a section and then every single one you missed, you have to dig in you have to try harder. You have to read it again and again, and you have to figure that shit out. If you can't figure it out, you put it on a list and you bring it to a study partner or you bring it to a tutor or whatever. But many of those questions, you can solve it yourself and you just, but you just have to start doing mm-hmm. it. You know, yeah. you, nobody else can um, do those pushups for you. <laughs> you have to do the pushups. Yep. Anyway, sorry for that rant. No, that's right. Uh, Salieri, or wh- whatever we were saying, uh, continues. I'm saying Salieri. S- Salieri. 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 You don't have to say it with like the Italian or cheesy I have to say it that way. spaghetti thing. <laughs> you, you have to say it that way. Yeah. Okay. We can say it that that's way. That's right. Continues. Uh, the discrepancy between my practice test scores and my September score was largely due to a poor performance on the reading comprehension section. Okay. Of the 20 questions I missed on the September exam, 11 were reading comp questions. Reading comp questions tend to be my worst section, uh, or reading comp tends to be my worst section in my practice tests leading up to the exam. But I had missed only six to eight on prior practice tests. Given that the reading comp section is said to be said by many to be the most difficult section to make improvements upon, but given that it is also the section in which most the most potential exists for me to improve, to what extent should I focus my time on making improvements in this section? Okay, that was that was a, a mouthful, but <laughs> <laughs> I, we get the idea. Um, should, to what extent should I focus my time on making improvements in this section? You should, if this is where you're missing most points, 20 questions 
Uh, he missed 11, so half of his his missed points are coming from reading comp, at least on the practice test. Spend more time. You can improve on reading comp, and in fact, it's a good investment for law school because you have to get good at reading um, for law school. They're going to test you to the same degree. They want you to read a lot of crap and then understand the structure of that crap and the details in that crap. That's basically law school in a nutshell. So um, I think the investment is good for your LSAT, but also good for law school. So take the time to figure out how to read better, how to understand what you're reading as you're reading, how to predict answers to questions when you read those questions, and how to go back and find information if you need to. I think those are the core skills in reading comprehension, and those are skills that you can improve. Yeah, I just think I, I think Salieri has to has to do it and stop talking about it. Yeah, that's my my assessment because I mean this is still just like talking about numbers, right? Yeah. It's all this like analysis, all this data, all the all these like all these numbers, mm-hmm. and the number I'm I'm concerned about is the one hour a day that you do of studying. Yeah, and hey, if you're only missing twenty questions total on the September test, and and getting a one what was the final score here? 161. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 161 is a great score that indicates that you are, you have no problem reading. You're not a bad reader. You can't score 161 if you're a bad reader, but you suck at the reading comp. Okay. Well, you have to dig into those mistakes. I mean, I would be willing to bet that Salieri hasn't reviewed the reading comprehension section from that September test. That was an actual LSAT test that counted and I bet Salieri has not thoroughly reviewed those mistakes. 11 questions that he missed on the reading comp. And I bet he didn't spend the time to go in and dig in and just, be, you know, because it's like you have to confront your own mortality when you're doing that, right? Mm-hmm. You're like staring your own stupidity in the face. You're looking at questions that you've missed and it's uncomfortable yeah, because you missed it. It, it, people don't like to be shitty at things. And so they just go, Oh, I suck at reading comp. Should I even bother studying it? Oh, I don't even know if it's worth the time. Is it even worth investing the time? Fuck. Yeah. It's worth investing the time right now. Stop talking about it and do it. There's, <laughs> I guarantee that of those 11 questions that you missed on reading comp, half of them are just going to be blindingly just stupid, dumb mistakes where you just didn't read it carefully enough. Yeah. You know, you're, you're just not responding to the question. You picked an answer that just doesn't respond to the question. So figure out why you did that and, and figure out why the wrong answer is wrong and figure out why the right answer is right. And try to figure out why you picked the wrong answer and try to figure out why you didn't pick the right answer and dig in and go deep and solve that issue. And you'll make less mistakes next time. Yeah dig into the problems. So he continues, I've heard perhaps from y'all that prep materials tend to fall short when it comes to adequately preparing for reading the reading comprehension section. To what extent should I focus my time on consuming reading comprehension prep materials? Okay, let's just stop right there. Um, You don't need to spend really much time at all. I think that we do have some good advice, but we can give it to you right now. And that is read each sentence carefully. Make sure you understand what it is to the point where you're thinking about what's being said and not just reading past it. Um, and then predict where you think the passage is going to go from what you've read so far. That will ensure that you're actively engaged with what you're reading. 
grappling with it, understanding it, and that's going to help you remember it so that when you go into the questions, you know the answers to most of the questions without ever looking back at the passage. That's not to say that you should never go back. But the point here is that we're just getting good at reading and understanding what we're reading and remembering that. That's it. Yeah, read these next two sentences. What sorts of non-LSAT reading materials tend to be the best to improve on the RC section? Reading in general is fine, but if you're going to be studying for the LSAT, go back to the LSAT. Yeah, this is kind of like what you're saying, Nathan. I feel like he's running away from the test and doing (laughs) the work with the test itself. Yeah, looking for magic, magic tricks, looking for, looking for more advice. You know, give me, give me, it's like we, we tell, we tell you what to do and then people are, but yeah, but what else you got? Mm -hmm. (laughs) What else could I be doing? Should I be, should I be reading the economist? Yeah. No, dude, you should be reviewing your mistakes that you made on that reading comprehension section right there. And tomorrow you should do a new section of reading comprehension. And then you should review the shit out of any questions that you missed. Yep. And then the next day you should do another reading comprehension section and you should review the shit out of any questions you missed. Yep. And then you should keep doing that every day for a month. And then we should talk mm-hmm. because a month from now you will be better at reading comprehension. Yeah. That's just guaranteed for sure. But people don't want that. People want like, oh, but should I be reading? I think I need to be reading some scientific journals so that I can get used to this type of dense stuff. Yeah, <laughs> no. or get up to speed on this. Uh-uh. Nope. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, that's – I'm. and by the way, I mean, I, I really am not trying to attack Salieri. I appreciate Salieri writing in, and I'm. I, I just – this idea that you should be doing other stuff it's it, and and the endless strategizing about how to how to prepare and everything it's like hey it's called reading comprehension there's 83 practice tests available that's uh 83 times 4 equals 252 passages you could read yeah uh, with questions right there that are real lsat questions that actually were on the official lsat yeah. um Let's start with those. Get back to me when you've read, when you've done all the 83 reading comprehension sections. Yeah. You know, that's 83 days worth of prep. And there's no way that somebody who scores 161 is going to not improve from a minus 11 on reading comp. If he did those, you know, a section a day for two months. Yeah. Just it's easy. simple. I mean, it's easy in the same way as it's easy to say, "Hey, why don't you just start doing fifty push-ups a day and then see have see if you feel better after a month?" <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like it's very easy. Oh, you don't like your your you're not happy with your body or whatever. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, how about you start working out a little bit every day? <laughs> it's like, well, what else you got? <laughs> I heard blueberries are good. <laughs> should I should I be eating? How about books? Do you have any books on it? <laughs> yeah. Can we talk more about the strategy? <laughs> we all know how to eat more nah. healthy. Yeah. Yeah. So he continues, I do read a fair amount, but I'm not sure that I'm reading sufficiently complex materials or reading in a sufficiently engaging manner. Solved. Go back to LSAT questions because you'll yeah. be tested on whether yeah. you read it well or not. <laughs> yeah. It's like one, it is, it's not, it's, it's not, um, it's not, it's not, uh, insufficiently complex and it's not overly complex. It's perfectly complex because it's the exact fucking LSAT. 
<laughs> it is the test. And then, as Ben points out, you will know whether you had read it in a sufficiently engaging manner because there's a conveniently located set of questions there <laughs> <laughs> with an answer key that will tell you whether you had engaged sufficiently. And, you know, that's the biggest problem with people who advocate reading The Economist or all these other things is that they um, when you read an article and then you're not asked about it afterward, of course, your personal assessment of how well you understood that article is always going to match up with how you understood that article, right? Did I understand that well? I think I did. Okay. Oh, perfect. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, what'd they ask about? Magnificent, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you. And then I'm sitting there thinking, wait, the article's saying something slightly different than what you're saying, but there's no way for you to know that because you're your own judge, right? So anyways. Yeah, yeah. This person continues. Unlike my performance on the reading comp section, my performance in the logical reasoning sections where I missed three questions in each section was on par with my practice test scores. Okay. Of the six logical reasoning questions that I missed, only two were questions that I had attempted. Thus, improving my LR score seems to be more a question of improving my speed than of improving my accuracy. No, wrong, bullshit. Yeah, you need no. to just get you better. You questions. Mm-hmm. You could get better. You didn't have to miss those two. Also, if you got better and didn't make any mistakes anymore, you would end up going faster. Yeah. It would show but your level of understanding. You, yes. Yeah. No. Your problem is accuracy. Your problem is not speed. And same thing on the reading comp. Your problem is definitely accuracy, not speed. So to be fair, his accuracy is pretty good if he's only missing one, right? Only two are questions that I had attempted. So basically in each section, he's missing one question uh, of the ones that he's attempting. So that's, that's yeah, pretty okay. good. Um, but, and didn't get to two at the end. Yeah. I mean, he's doing it so, exactly right. Fine. Basically. He just needs to yeah. do more of the same to the point where he starts going faster. Not that he all of a sudden just goes faster. You go faster. I'm just by saying doing what you're doing. Yeah. You go faster by yes. Good job on the accuracy. Continue continue focusing on accuracy. That's what I'm saying. I'm just saying, don't try to get those last two questions. Mm-hmm. That's not going to help mm-hmm. you. You're going to start making more mistakes if you do that. Yeah. That's and just, that's what's going to happen of the ones you did do. How many of them did you kind of get twisted around in? You still got them right, but you took a long time. What about that? Did you not understand? What about that? Could you understand better? Um, that is what's going to help you go faster, not just going faster. Uh, Continuing, I used no prep materials other than the practice tests in preparing for the LR sections, and I'm wondering to what extent – this is a phrase that this correspondent loves – to what extent prep materials might be helpful in improving my speed. I started Nathan's free course earlier today, and I felt lost while listening to his explanations of LR questions. Really? Hmm. While I picked up some phrases fairly quickly, some jargon seemed to go over my head. My answering could be sped up with a better understanding of the fundamental concepts involved in LR that might be taught in a class like Nathan's, but I'm sure that my answering could also be sped up by gaining more familiarity with the exam by taking more practice tests instead of taking a class or reading a book. Uh, To what extent do you think... (laughs) There it is again. To what extent extent do you think I should utilize... 
prep materials and attempting to get mm. a sp- perfect or near perfect LR score to counteract the points I will likely miss on the RC section in June. Well, first of all, stop worrying about RC and go fix that problem and you don't need to counteract it. Second of all, I think either one of our classes, if you just listen to the videos a little bit longer, I think you'll start to pick up on the jargon because there's yeah. not really that much jargon. I think you're probably just getting lost in question type names and you just need a little time to say, oh, I see why this might be considered a must-be-true question or whatever, and then you won't be so lost. It almost feels like he's not listening to the videos very carefully. I mean, no offense, but... No, he started the free course. He started it. <laughs> That's what, I'm so fucking sick of hearing that. I start, well, I started the book. I started the free course. I started it. Yeah, what else you got? What else you got? There's five hours of instruction there, dude. <laughs> You'll get better. You got to do it, though. <laughs> Let's talk tomorrow. Yeah. After you do that. To what extent should he we'll do see. it? <laughs> to what extent should I do the free class? To what extent will I benefit? <laughs> All right. Um, uh, if you think that I should utilize, please never use utilize. It's unnecessary. To what extent... Have I gotten you, Ben? Did I infect you with the hatred of the word utilize? No, I've I've I will never always forget. hated that one. Yeah, I'll never forget when I, I was at a poker game in Boston in when I was in journalism school uh, a million years ago. Mm. We were like sitting around the table smoking weed and playing poker. And um my buddy um Henry pointed out how terrible the word utilize is. And Ever since then, I just, it makes me want to vomit when I see the word. I know I never really, you know, I just didn't like, it didn't enter my consciousness how stupid it was. But now when I see utilize, it's just like so gross. Oh, it is gross. So here, Salier used it twice in like what consecutive sentences. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, the reason why it's gross is because you could always put use instead and it's one syllable instead of three. Yeah. Yeah, so uh Sorry. no no, it's uh it's a bad word. Don't ever use it anyone. Um everyone out Don't there. Don't utilize the word utilize. Yeah. yeah. Uh if you think that I should utilize LR prep materials, at what point might you expect such materials to exhibit diminishing returns relative to the returns gained from gaining more practice? Uh, this is <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> So this correspondent must Worrying be a, about the diminishing returns. Yeah. Well, first, so this correspondent must be an econ person or something. Lots of could be yeah. lots of like yeah. How are the numbers going uh, to? To what extent if, do I spend more time using the materials yeah. versus using other materials? Um, at what point might you expect such materials to exhibit diminishing returns relative to the returns gained from taking <laughs> more practice tests? I have. No idea. It depends on what materials you're using and how much, <laughs> how carefully you uh, read them. So, for example, if you get Nathan's LR book and you start it, um, you might not get any returns from that book uh, relative to taking more practice tests as long as you review your practice tests. But I. The simple test is this. When you sit down and you read any materials on the LSAT to the extent that you decide to read them, um, did you learn something and do you have a better understanding of the test and how to approach it the next time you take a section? 
if you if if you if you learn something, then great. I will tell you this: my class study guide is. Let me see here. Actually, the one for this semester is three hundred and seven pages long, and I would okay. guess that about. Hmm, I'm just scanning through it right now. I would say. I would say 40 pages, and that's, that's kind of a high estimate. I would say 40 pages of those 307 give you some form of strategy. The rest are practice problems. So I think that's a good yep. ratio to think about. Yeah, yeah. I give folks my book, Introducing the LSAT, which is only like 100 pages. You know, or, I mean, that's a tiny little book yeah. of small pages, 100 pages. And even that book uh, is probably 40 pages of strategy and 60 pages of just LSAT questions. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's not that much strategy to learn, especially for reading comp. There's not that much strategy to learn. Yeah. But you just, you, you have to do the work. I mean, I'm, this is, this, you know, and I, again, apologies, Salieri, I'm not personally attacking you, but, this, this idea that you're going to be worrying about assessing when the diminishing returns are going to kick in for each of these two things. Let's stop talking about it and just start doing it. Okay. Mm -hmm. At, at a certain point you won't be getting anything more out of it. Okay. Then, then move on to something else. But for now you just got to start doing your hour a day. Yeah. And there's not, there's, that's not, that's not something we can really help you with that much. Like you, you got to, you got to put it on your calendar and you got to start doing that hour every day. Mm -hmm. And if you do that hour every day, you're going to improve. And I think the very best materials you can work with are actual real tests. And then you have to figure out why you're making the mistakes. If you can't figure out the mistakes, well, that's where prep materials can help. I mean, my logical reasoning encyclopedia, the whole point of that encyclopedia is there's 550 logical reasoning questions in there and 550 pretty thorough explanations. So if you get it right on your own and you thought it was easy, maybe don't even read the explanation. But if you had any trouble with it at all, well, then the explanation is right there for you to learn from your mistake that you've made and get another perspective and listen to the way I would reason through mm -hmm. it. And that you get that same benefit from working with me as one-on-one -on -one or working with Ben one-on-one -on -one or taking one of our classes. That's the bulk of what we're going to be doing though, is just helping you understand real LSAT questions. There just, there just ain't that much theory to learn. It's, it's practice and understand and repeat. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, sorry. Uh, thank you for whatever advice you might be able to give and apologies for the slightly bloviated presentation of these questions. Have you ever used that word before or heard that word? Sure. Yeah. Bloviated. bloviated. Yeah. You hear people use it as a verb bloviate, mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, that's just kind of to go and to go on and on in a windbag sort of manner. Mm -hmm. And here he's using it as an adjective, but, um, yeah, bloviated and it's perfect. Yeah. He, 
he's got good self-awareness on that because it, it was it was pretty bloviated, especially when you use utilize twice and when you keep saying to what extent mm-hmm. 500 times in the same email. But um, thank you, Salieri, for writing in. That, uh, that was very useful, I think. And I wasn't yelling at you, Salieri, individually, personally so much. I, I, I am yelling today at the type of student who wants to talk about plans and talk about numbers and talk about techniques and strategies and stuff and and doesn't actually do the work yeah (laughs) you know yeah um and i mean i I started complaining about that based on earlier emails and and callers and stuff um including that girl that i talked to last night who you know started my free course yeah (laughs) started it and then like reached out for more, more stuff, like wanted something else, something more, what else you got? It's like, well, okay. I mean, maybe I'm not the teacher for you. That's fine too. But ultimately you do have to do the work and it's, um, it's, it's not eight hours a day, but it's one hour a day of quality work every single day. And, uh, yeah, just, uh, just dig in. That's the, the best advice we've got probably. Yep. Um, what do you think? Yeah, Leave it yeah there. I think I got a head, but awesome. Uh, that was episode 130 of the thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. It's been nice knowing you don't pay for law school.